Scientists have long known that Alberta's oil sands region around Fort McMurray, what is today Fort McMurray, has a lengthy human history. There's an archaeological site there known as the Quarry of the Ancestors that's yielded a bunch of artifacts since it was discovered uh, back in the 1990s. But it's been very difficult to find out just how long people have been there because carbon dating in that area is very difficult because of the soil. But new research may have answered that long-standing mystery by pinning a rough date on the earliest known humans in the region. Using a combination of archaeology and geology, it shows that people were living around Fort McMurray at least 11,000 years ago, perhaps as long as 13,000 years ago. That date isn't long after the first humans came to North America, or humans first came to North America, which most believe is somewhere around 16,000 years ago. The research was led by Robert Wawitka. He's an assistant professor of earth and planetary science at Edmonton's McEwen University, and he joins me now. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Thanks for having me. So I gather we did know that people had arrived in that Fort McMurray area, or at least the surrounding area, a long time ago. But uh, what did we know already about human history in that in that neck of the woods, so to speak? Yeah, we uh, we knew that people had been there for a very long time based on um, a lot of archaeological research that had been done in advance of oil sands mining. So since the 1970s, archaeologists have been going out and surveying and excavating sites and collecting what is now 3.8 million artifacts, if you believe it, from the area. Most of this stuff is chipped stone tools and the byproducts thereof. So some of these tools, things like spear points and arrowheads, we can use the shape of them to infer an age. Um, but there's a, a limitation to this in that when we do that, we're comparing to other areas, okay? So if you think we found a, a point that looks very similar to something that is very old in the plains where we know we have very strong radiocarbon ages associated with it, you say, well, that one's probably pretty old here too. Um, so we did have some feeling that people were here very early because there's some of these very early looking spear points. But it's a little bit more complex in the north in that when we started finding things out of ice patches in Yukon and Northwest Territories, we learned that the shape of spear points and arrowheads in the north isn't quite as time diagnostic. It doesn't set you in time as reliably as it does in the plains. So we always had a little bit of a, of a, of a you know, an unanchored timeline in, in the north. And this is compounded by the fact that organic material, things that we usually rely on to do radiocarbon dating, is very rapid, rapidly decayed in acidic forest soils. So we only have a handful of radiocarbon dates to help tell this story as well. So most of what you would have relied on normally to pinpoint or to better pinpoint a timeline just wasn't available to you? That's right. So what did you do? Well, we, we knew that there was a site in uh, a, a complex called the Quarry of the Ancestors that had really well stratified deposits. And stratified deposits are, if you can imagine, sort of a classic photo of an archaeological site. It's that layered cake kind of looking sediment, right? Um, these are really important because it means that um, things were preserved relatively quickly. So we don't, if you find that you, you have um, more of a chance of getting intact sediments and even maybe some organic material. So we knew that there was one of these sites in Core of the Ancestors. 
that had been found in the 1990s by Nancy Saxberg doing some of that cultural resource management archaeology work. And uh, we thought, well, let's go look at that site and see if it can tell us anything. Um, there was no radiocarbon datable material, but what was there is the site was preserved in wind-blown sand. And this is important because with wind-blown sand, you can actually date um, how long a sand grain has been buried by using something called infrared stimulated luminescence dating. You can date how long a grain of sand has been buried? That's right. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's remarkable. Uh, and, and so this infrared stimulated luminescence is, is how does it work? Yeah. Um, if you imagine a handful of, of sand and you, there's all little individual grains, in our part of the world, those grains are made up of usually quartz or feldspar uh, minerals. And these mineral grains, although they look very smooth to, to you when you hold it in your hand, if you put it under high powered microscope, there's actually many little uh, imperfections within the grain. And what happens is when this grain gets buried, those imperfections start to collect energy or electrons from radioactive decay in the environment. So believe it or not, there's radioactive decay happening all around us right now. And all these little, little energy particles are flitting around and they get collected in these little holes. And because we know the rate at which these things collect in, in the environment, so we know roughly how much energy gets collected in one year, if we take a sample and make sure it doesn't get exposed to light or anything. We take it back to the lab. We expose it to light. What happens, those energy traps, all the electrons in there get excited and they want to leave. So they luminesce. They give off all of their energy. And when we measure that energy and compare it to the rate of collection of energy, we can get a date. So this is actually a way of, of doing what carbon dating couldn't do uh, in that area. What did you discover in terms of uh, how much better were you able to pinpoint when human activity started in and around what we now know as the oil sands area? Yeah, we were able to, I, I don't know if I would say pinpoint. You see, the, the thing about uh, infrared stimulated luminescence dating is that, as you can tell, or as, as we have established, we're working with very small, minute pieces of, of, of uh, sediment. So you have a little bit more error than you would in a radiocarbon age. So say in radiocarbon, you get to within decades, maybe centuries of the event that you're dating. For IRSL, we're looking more at a millennia. So our work shows that people were probably in the oil sands 12,000 years ago, give or take a thousand years on either end. So let's say, be safe and say 11,000 to 13,000 years ago, somewhere in that window, people initially occupied the area. And that is obviously more accurate though than trying to compare say arrowheads, right? It's, 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 it's better than that. How does, it, how does it jive with what you had, the little carbon dating that you had? Yeah, well, our, all of our radiocarbon dating from the area is quite a bit younger than that. And again, that's a, re that's a, a remnant of this highly uh, um, destructive soil environment, right? So most radiocarbon ages, the oldest one we have, I think goes back to about 7,000. But our date is actually really consistent with what archeologists have been suspecting for a long time is in that people were there very, very early based on 
some of the the spear points that that were found there. What brought them there? Do we have an idea? Yeah, for sure. Um, if you can imagine, about thirteen thousand years ago, there was a lake that extended from northwestern Saskatchewan all the way down to South Dakota. Okay, and on the east side of this lake lay the Laurentide Ice Sheet, which is a continental ice sheet that was retreating during this time. It was very warm uh, at the end of the last ice age. This thing was melting and giving off huge amounts of water that pooled in front of the, the glacial ice. On top of that, you had rivers flowing into that lake from the west as they were exposed after the ice melted out. So you get this huge lake. And it turns out one of the drain plugs of that lake is in the northwest part of Saskatchewan at the headwaters of the Clearwater. And it burst at 13,000 years ago, releasing a torrent of water that we can't even imagine, right? If you can imagine a bathtub the size of, you know, Saskatchewan to South Dakota draining, it's an incredibly destructive event. This carved the Clearwater uh, River Valley and then it turned up to the north following the Athabasca River. And when it got to around the mineable oil sands area north of Fort McMurray there, it exposed or ripped up and brought to the area a thing called uh, rocks called Beaver River Sandstone. And this stuff is really good for making stone tools. So it's fine grained, so you can get good sharp edges and it's easy to work. And so this stuff, was probably exposed or brought to the area by this giant flood 13,000 years ago. So that's definitely one of the reasons people were there was to get this raw material for making stone tools. I'm speaking with Robin Wawitka. He's an assistant professor of earth and planetary sciences at Edmonton's McEwen University. We're talking about research that he's done that better establishes when humans first were active in and around what we now know as the oil sands area, Fort McMurray. Uh, what brought them there uh, many millennia ago, 13,000, 11 to 13,000 years ago, was resources, just like it is today, that, you know, things that they could use. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk a bit more about where you take this research uh, from here and just what it allows us to understand and, and how we can better explore what happened over time uh, in that part of Alberta, knowing what we now know. That's next. My guest this half hour is Robin Wawitka. He's the assistant professor and assistant professor of earth and planetary sciences at Edmonton McEwen's University. We're talking about some research that he and a team have just completed that uh, better establishes when human activity began in and around uh, the what we now know as the oil sands area, Fort McMurray. Um, a catastrophic event there uh, would have led to... Uh, stone that was easier to carve, if I understand correctly, which would have brought people there much the same way as it does 13,000 years later, resources, uh, good resources uh, brought people to those areas. So what do we, what do you do with this information now that we've established a better established sort of a time frame for when human activity uh, was began in that, in that region? And, and what can we do with that information? Yes, we can take this information now and try to find more sites like this one. Um, like I said, the site was found in the 1990s uh, during cultural resource management work in support of the oil sands or in uh, prior to oil sands uh, development going in. It's a it's an interesting site because it's it's in a in a location that we don't always test traditionally when we're out looking for archaeological sites. So it's in a bit of a lower part of the landscape where sediment will collect. So 
my research now is focused on using high resolution topographic data. Um, so things that can depict the surface of the earth in one meter to sub-meter resolution to help find these traps where sediment might have accumulated that can tell us a story similar to what we found at Core of the Ancestors and, and hopefully find datable material similar to Core of the Ancestors as well. Because right now we only have, you know, this, this one suite of dates from this site. Um, in order to fully flesh out the story and, and corroborate our own findings, we need to do more work, right, and, and find more of these sites. And they, they will definitely be out there. We know that they're out there. We have a few other ones in other parts of Alberta. So just refining the way we look for sites in the boreal forest will help us get more dates like this. It sounds like the technology has evolved in such a way that it, it really does open up a whole new world of possibilities when it comes to figuring out, or at least better figuring out, the history of these areas. That's right. Yeah, applying this is a, a, a well-established technique in earth science, um, but it hasn't been applied to boreal forest archaeology very much. It's definitely been used in plains archaeology and archaeology in Africa and Europe, but uh, the forest, we, we don't use it as much, but it definitely has potential. And, and just to, to put this into perspective, I mean, this means that there were people in and around that area around those early, the early parts of what we know of people arriving in on this continent. That's right. Yeah. So we've, we've kind of framed this as, as people living on the eastern edge of the, of the ice-free corridor. Um, that might be a familiar term to, to some listeners. This is one of the potential routes for the initial peopling of North America, the other being the Pacific coast. It's an open question as to which one was first. Right now, it looks like the west coast was probably open and available and viable as a route for initial occupation a little bit earlier than the ice-free corridor. But the corridor is still a very interesting place because as these ice sheets pulled out of it, you had animals, plants, and people moving in, likely from the north and from the south. And so it's this great mixing area of ecologically and culturally. And so it's a very, very interesting place. And we feel that we're on the eastern edge of it and at the at the you know tail end of the the sort of classic ice-free corridor time period. What else do you now want to find out just about even that area about about what it was like and and what I mean you've sort of established a timeline now and then you've already mentioned what you could look for other sites as well to try and reinforce what you found. But is there anything you want to know just about that specific area around the quarry of the ancestors that you'll continue to to work on? Yeah, I'm I'm very interested in in wetland development in that part of the world. So once we get out of this cold, dry period at the very end of the ice age, we slowly start the journey towards what we see today as the boreal forest, which is, you know, seas of muskeg and, and you know, islands of, of spruce and aspen and, and pine trees. But that only really established itself, let's say 3000 years ago, maybe if you, if you want to be generous 6,000 years ago. So there's this, this gap between 12,000 to 6,000 years ago where the landscape was still very different. It is forested, but it's still very different. And the wetlands are probably much smaller in extent. And I'd be very curious to, to see what, how those wetlands expanded and see if animals and people were using areas that are now underneath 
the wetlands, but were previously exposed to air and, and viable for, for traveling through or hunting, hunting in. So that's another aspect of, of, of future research I'm looking at. Well, next time anyone takes a drive through that area around Fort McMurray, just think people were there, you know, 11 to 13,000 years ago, <laughs> working away. Robin Wawitka, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you, Ben. I really appreciate it.